Hello and welcome to Philosophy Over Tea, the podcast where you join me as I explore the tremendous world of philosophy. Hosted by myself, Sahar. Throughout this podcast, we explore various philosophers, some of the biggest concepts in philosophy, as well as how they can be applied to today's world. In today's episode, we start a new series on the ethics of the environment, and how humans will treat non-human animals as well as how we should treat non-human animals. Welcome to Philosophy Over Tea. Remember a few years ago when a few fast food chains, notably McDonald's and a few others, were found to be serving horse meat at some restaurants? The 2013 horse meat scandal was a major issue in the food industry that occurred in parts of Europe, in which foods that were claimed to be beef or chicken were discovered to instead be horse meat. There was almost instant public outrage. People were angry at how they'd eaten horse meat, and yet many of these discussions about this news were ha- probably had while they were eating steak or had just finished grilling some burgers. Or think about back to 2016, when the gorilla Harambe was killed at the Cincinnati Zoo in the United States. Yet another event that sparked anger across the internet and called for changes to zoo policies and the like. It even became a rather popular meme that occasionally springs up even today. We react with such horror when we hear about eating horse meat or killing a gorilla, or when videos show up about people tossing kittens or puppies into a lake. But what's the difference, then, between killing harambe or killing a cow, a duck, or a chicken, all animals commonly used for food? Why do we see no issue with killing the small group of animals? Well, that is what I want to explore in today's episode, the philosophy behind the morality of killing animals and human exceptionalism. Let's first take a look at what are known as moral considerations regarding non-human animals. We say that a morally considerable being or creature is one that can be wronged, that another creature can do something wrong to it. A lot of people, and I'm sure a lot of you listening as well, would probably instinctively say that it makes sense that humans would be the major and probably the only morally considerable beings. Only humans can recognize moral issues and moral claims. But is that really true? One popular term used in philosophy to describe the view that a certain species, in this case humans, is better than others is known as speciesism. To understand what this word entails, consider another similar word word with a different basis, racism. Racism is essentially the idea that one race is better than others and can and should be allowed to exploit the weaker one for its own benefit. Peter Singer, a philosopher that we will come to a couple of times throughout this series, says in his paper All Animals Are Equal that the racist violates the principle of equality by giving greater weight to the interests of members of his own race. When there is a clash between their interests and the interests of those of another race, Similarly, the speciesist allows the interests of his own species to override the greater interests of members of other species. The pattern is the same in each case. This discrimination based on species, similar to the discrimination based on race or gender, is one based on prejudice, because these are not characteristics that are important when it comes to making moral claims. 
We consider these differences to be prejudicial because there is no apparent clear reason for preferring the interest of one, one species or one race over another. It's clear that humans are members of the species Homo sapiens, and while that does mean that we are different, it does not entitle us to any moral superiority over other animals or any other creatures. It's just pure luck that we are members of Homo sapiens and we're not members of another species, similarly to how it's pure luck that you were born into a certain country and not another. You never chose these things, so why should you be considered superior for it? Some people might argue that being a human means that we are special, because we have certain capacities, certain capabilities that other creatures do not. But what are these capabilities? A number of different ones have been suggested throughout the years. Family ties and social bonds, intelligence levels, using language, the ability to think abstractly, and to feel emotions. These are just a few of them. Let's take a look at some of the more common ones. Now many might point out that humans are the most intelligent species. We can use tools we've evolved with a bigger, not necessarily bigger, but a better brain. One that can use tools, we can look at stuff around us, make sharp sticks, make weapons to kill other animals, industrialize processes, we can build massive structures like the houses that we live in, the buildings that we go to work in, and things like that. So let's, for the sake of this experiment, this thought experiment, take it as a fact that humans are the most intelligent species, so we should be considered exceptional and are therefore allowed to use other creatures for our own benefit. Well, let's continue this sort of idea that Intelligence should entitle a creature to be able to use other less intelligent ones. We know from certain studies that crows and other species have better solving, problem-solving capabilities than four-year-old children and toddlers. And they are overall more intelligent in a lot of areas. Does this mean that crows should be allowed to eat human children and we should consider that morally okay? If we agree with the previous statement that all intelligent species are morally superior, then yes, we should be okay with this. Or consider the situation of people who have disabilities that affect their mental capabilities in a negative manner, or people who have been in an accident and they are in a coma and are brain dead. They generally can't understand a lot of things and they don't have the capabilities that other humans have. So do we consider ourselves morally superior to them? Do we think it's okay to just kill them sometimes, you know, just because it makes our life easier? After all, we are more intelligent, so we should be morally allowed to do these things. Now, a counter-argument to this point is that maybe what matters isn't the individual person, but what matters is the species as a whole. Since humans are overall the more intelligent species, it's okay for us to harm other animals for our own good, our own prosperity. But let's take this scenario a bit further. But let's keep it constrained to humans, since we have sort of established the sort of counterpoint that it should be restricted to humans. Instead of a society that is ruled by race, such as a society that is ruled by people who are white, or a society that is ruled by gender and sex, such as a patriarchal society. Consider a society that is instead ruled by 
people with the highest IQ. At a certain age, every child is given a test that measures their intelligence potential. It measures basically how much of an intelligence capacity they have, how big they can go in the world when it comes to intelligence. Those who get the highest scores are sent to live in the upper classes. They get to live in incredible, exquisite mansions. They get the best education. They get the best jobs when they finish. They get to rule over the others. All of this while those with the lowest scores are the general workers and part of the lower classes. Now, is this a good way to divide things up then? As we follow the initial fact that we established and its repercussions, we rather quickly see that intelligence does not mean that a species is more morally considerable. As for the other capacities people might suggest, they have also in some way or the other been refuted or shown counterexamples for. Let's take the capacity for emotion, for example. Emotion has been seen and noted in a number of different species, the most notable one being orcas who show clear signs and feelings of anger or boredom. They even kill animals for fun just sometimes, they don't even eat them. Other animals, like household pets like cats and dogs, have been shown to develop familial bonds with their owners. Anyone who has a pet, you're not just going to say that, oh, this animal doesn't understand emotion, they just don't love me, and stuff like that. People do form proper bonds with their pets. When a new human baby is born in a house that has pet cats, cats will usually look after it as though it is their own kitten. They will clean them, they'll play with them, as they would their own kittens. Obviously, each individual creature is different and they will have different reactions, but the general consensus stays the same, that they do clearly experience emotions. And this doesn't take away from the fact that they do bond with humans and see them as part of a family. Both scholarly and sort of popular work on animal behavior suggest that many of the activities that we think only occur in humans occur in many non-human animals as well. One proposed reason for humans being exceptional was the case that maybe we can form better social bonds, but you only need to look at a few species to see that this isn't always the case. Orangutans, for example, will always look after their children for 8 to 10 years, until the kids are sort of old enough to go on their own. And even then, they'll maintain relationships and meet them throughout their life. Other social animals such as wolves and chimpanzees they have extended family units like humans do. These units are built on complex individual relationships that lead to certain hierarchies in their societies for long periods of time. Certain societies with chimpanzees have also been shown to develop individual relationships with the leaders. So when a leader wants to step up and take charge of a large group, they are seen for weeks or months beforehand sort of developing relationships with each small family unit within it. And after that, when they have, when they seem to have enough support, that's when they will probably go challenge the current leader, or something like that. It is pretty similar to what we have today. We have politicians who sort of campaign, they try to say that we are, that they are looking out for us, they are trying to support us, and then they go to the polls, they ask us to vote for them. So we see that these sort of bonds and social skills transcend species. Other examples include meerkats in the Kalahari Desert. A lot of them sacrifice their own safety so they can stay behind with another member who is sick or dying. 
just so they don't have to die alone. All living creatures that live in social groups also have to solve social problems that come up, sort of conflicts that come up between two people, sort of issues that come up with regards to their food or their area, and stuff like that. While primates, such as like humans and apes and all, are especially good at this, other creatures such as chickens and horses also exhibit this kind of behavior and have a defined social structure. If you're not convinced by this, consider the fact that some animals even make such strong bonds that they can die of sorrow when their partner or child dies. Uh, Charles Darwin, in his book The Descent of Man, notes that so intense is the grief of female monkeys for the loss of their young that it caused death of certain kinds. So we see then that most of the capacities that are thought to distinguish the human animal as exceptional or more morally considerable have been observed to some extent in a number of non-human animals. Because the human animal has evolved from similar ancestors as these creatures, we do have pretty similar cognitive and behavioral functions. So any work that attempts to show human exceptionalism is often criticized because of the aforementioned examples and more. Attempts to show human uniqueness have been prevalent throughout scientific history, but they're not really the most reliable or promising when it comes to the moral status of animals. But still, people might argue, there must be something that distinguishes humans from non-humans, right? Immanuel Kant, a philosopher, argues that our capacity for personhood, which is essentially your ability to represent yourself as I, is what distinguishes us from other creatures. So Kant writes that every rational being exists as an end in himself, and not merely as a means to be arbitrarily used by this or that will. Beings whose existence depends not on our will, but on nature, have, nevertheless, if they are not rational beings, only a relative value as means, and are therefore called things. What Kant is essentially saying here is that only beings who can consider themselves, who can think of themselves, should be considered actual living things that are morally considerable. Anything that can't understand the concept of itself should be just considered a thing to be used by the creatures that can understand what I am. More recent work that develops Kant's work argues that humans faced a sort of unique problem, a problem that requires us to evaluate our actions. Because humans can sort of reflect on their actions, they are in this unique position where they can look back in what they do and then decide whether their action is right or wrong. Although Kant was the biggest proponent of this in sort of modern philosophy, this idea goes back much further. In historic Islamic teachings, for example, there is the existence of akal in humans. This akal is a trait that is unique to humans that allows us to distinguish between right and wrong. For example, a lion will kill its prey because it sees it as a means of survival and it has to kill its prey. Whereas humans have the ability to realize when it's right and when it's wrong to kill animals. But the issue with Kant's view of personhood is that it doesn't even include all humans as morally considerable. Consider again, for example, 
babies who have not yet developed the capacity for rational thought, or individuals who are in a coma. They don't have a sense of self. They can't evaluate their decisions as right or wrong. A baby will just as easily push over a 3,000-piece Lego set that someone had made and spent like eight hours making. They don't see it as a wrong thing to do. They're just having fun. So should we say that these creatures are not morally considerable? Or even animals? Should we be morally allowed to just take our pets and kill them? While Kant did say that non-human animals are beneath us, he sort of pushes back against this point by saying that we have a indirect duty towards them. We have a duty, he says, to protect our own humanity, to protect our ability to be good or bad. So if we choose to hurt another creature, it will damage our humanity. And that's why we shouldn't hurt these creatures. But I still don't find this to be a fully satisfactory claim. If someone punches a severely, dam like a severely brain damaged child or they set a cat on fire, are we really just going to say that the only reason why that action was bad is because they're just hurting their own humanity? No, we would say that they did something wrong to that person, to that animal. We then clearly see that the arguments for personhood also cannot stand, unless you want to discount every other creature and many humans as not morally considerable. But why should I care? Why should you care though? After all, humans have been killing animals for thousands of years, so it must be okay to do so, right? Our ancestors ate meat, or their ancestors before them ate meat, so why should we be any different as a species? Why should we change? Well, the first reason, as the entire previous section was about, was that in every way that we use creatures, they are harmed in some way or another. Now, if you are a bit squeamish or sensitive about animal abuse examples and would prefer not to hear it, you can skip about like a minute or two ahead. Animals such as rabbits are used when it comes to testing cosmetic products. What a lot of testers will do is that they'll usually drop some of the thing that they're testing, be it makeup usually, um, into the eyes of rabbits. And then they'll wait to see what its effects are. The reason they use rabbits is because rabbits don't have tear ducts. They don't produce tears, so they can't wash away any irritants that go into their eyes. Now, needless to say, almost all the rabbits are in immense pain, and many of them go blind, after which they are usually euthanized. Chickens, meanwhile, are kept in horrible conditions at farms or factories. They usually only have the space of like about an A4 paper to themselves and their beaks are chopped off to stop them from pecking each other, or themselves. So you should care about animals, animals that are morally considerable, that are being harmed every second of every day. Some people may argue that maybe if you kill an animal quickly, it doesn't count as harming it. But this is an example that we're going to take a look at in a future episode. But we should care now more so than ever, because we have the luxury to care about it. With the advent of plant-based products such as like Beyond Meat Burgers and cultured meats that are being approved across the world and new genetically modified foods, there are so many more ways to get the nutrients that your body needs, so much so that killing animals just really isn't required. With how processed foods are nowadays, some studies even show it might be healthier to stick to a non-meat diet 
So the only reason to continue having meat in developed countries is either convenience or taste. And I think sacrificing a bit of taste and convenience for the sake of another morally considerable creature is well worth the deal. Now I am aware that some topics in this episode, particularly those about equating human animals to non-human animals, are a rather charged and touchy topic. But I ask you to take this as an opportunity to sort of question what you know. Question why you think humans are above all other animals, or why you think it's okay to kill some animals rather than others, and try to find a rational answer to this. For those of you who want to do some further reading, I've included a link to Peter Singer's paper, All Animals Are Equal, down in the description. In this paper, he argues for the fact that all animals should have equal moral value, and it's what a few topics that I spoke about in this episode were based on. Well, that is all for today. Thank you for tuning into today's episode, and please share and follow the podcast if you enjoyed it. Until next time, and have a wonderful day.